um, app. It's doing ASMR. Of, I, mean, I had a friend who told me she can't listen to the podcast because it makes her fall asleep. No, seriously, you have the most relaxing voice. Like you're missing out by not selling yourself for like the Headspace or the Calm app. <laughs> well, it's lovely to meet you. you Thank know. you. Having only yeah. discovered you through Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny. You've, you've followed me for quite some time now. I have. So yeah. I'm curious what made you put, like press the follow button. <laughs> I'm putting it on you now. Oh, God, it's turned around. It, it, we'll, we'll spin this back briefly. I'll come back to this. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I'm already recording. So welcome to the podcast, Maddie. Hi. I'm assuming you prefer to be called Maddie. Oh, yeah. Madeline as if I'm in trouble. And I, I've, I tried to figure out how to pronounce your last name and I couldn't. Oh, Rondo. Rondo, okay. But Rhodes is easier. That's my okay. married name. Okay, yeah. so that makes, that makes sense. Because I, I was looking at it and I was like, I couldn't decide if I needed to put like a, a French inflection on it. Yeah, you could. It might make me sound <laughs> fancier. <laughs> I mean, it's looking fancy. I'm seeing your studio at this point and, and you know. I'm seeing yeah, big I mean, fancy compared to my desk <laughs> of cac. <laughs> like, no, I love I love personally to look at people's studio spaces, yeah. um, and sometimes the best work is the one that's right enmeshed in your house. Yeah. You know, where it's just a part of your everyday. Um, I can't work like that because I get distracted by a million things, and so I have yeah. to have a designated space. Um, but yeah. And also, by the way, let me know if, uh, if you, if you need me to like shut the window or like turn the fan off, like if the noise, we should be fine. It sounds, it sounds fine. And as I've kind of, I do a very under production on my productions because okay. that way it's a lot more relaxed. So awesome. people enjoy it a little bit more, but, uh, welcome to the podcast. As I already said for the people at home, you tell them who you are and what you, what you do. Yeah. Um, I'm Maddie Rondo Rhodes, pronounce as you will. Um, I am a painter, but also recently a collage artist. Um, I started making collages really uh, intensely right at the beginning of lockdown. Um, So for the U.S., I guess that was like January, February. Mm. Um, And I had never done collage before. Um, part of the reason for that was because I couldn't get into my studio space now because we're technically in a public building owned by the city of Charlottesville, which is where I, um, I work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my studio mate is also 75 going on 76, I think this year. And so she's very high risk. Um, and so protect that. (laughs) Yeah. Gotta protect my old lady as I like to call her. Um, I'm her designated millennial. (laughs) Everyone Uh, needs one. (laughs) everybody does right um so yeah I started doing collage right at the beginning and I just I fell in love with it and I I hate drawing like I am a terrible drawer I can't sketch it just it, it I'm impatient and so collage was kind of a interesting substitution for me to do preparatory work um where I wasn't having to spend a lot of time um you know, trying to render something accurately, I could just Mm. pluck things as I wanted to. Um, And, you know, as someone who does surrealist kind of style work or Dada-esque style work, I, um, you know, it, it kind of circles back to that tradition of surrealism and kind of automatic writing and, and collage is so rooted in, in that kind of art historical dialogue with collage and and so it was just a really really nice way to reinforce what I was already doing and make it better um so I think collage has been um really useful for me as an artist in terms of getting better at composition and color placement um you know, and I, I actually just yesterday finished a collage workshop with the University of Vermont's Fleming Museum and um, this awesome, awesome husband-husband team 
um, Rick Cassini Kador. Um, he runs a the Collage Institute, um, which is like a big nonprofit that basically like connects collage communities together um, mm -hmm. and investigates kind of the history of collage, but also contemporary collage artists right now. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it, it was a really kind of validating experience to talk with other collage artists and get connected because I think collage in some ways is like the misfits of the art world. Like yeah. it kind of transcends a lot of different, types of mediums and yet people almost kind of do it in a vacuum too i don't know it's yeah. such a strange one i mean it's, i found it interesting that you say that you hate drawing because i mean as you say i've been following you for for a long old while i was trying to think of how i stumbled across you yeah and i'm trying to too it may be you are literally one of those randomly scrolling through instagram yeah. see a picture and think oh I like that. And then kind of following on from that and then serendipity. <laughs> yeah. It's a real, real kind of like crumb of a situation where you see a little something you think, oh, and then occasionally it doesn't always work out. But with you, I say, yeah. I mean, I followed your work for a very long time. Um, I say a very long time. It makes it sound like decades, but it might have been, who knows? Time is disappearing at this point. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but your, your, your paintings, uh, which I originally found you through, through your paintings, um, yeah. very figurative. And there's a right. lot of in that which I would consider illustrative um, and, and kind of connective because personally I do a fair amount of illustration. Right. And I, I see a lot of those traits in that. So the fact that you kind of dislike drawing is kind of fascinating. No, yeah, I can't stand <laughs> it. I really, really, um, and it's, and actually the irony of that too is that I was just talking to a friend of mine um, in my studio last night. And she was like, yeah, you know, how's the painting going? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be adding cartoons that I've drawn into the work. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? <laughs> and knowing that I don't like to draw. And yeah. also because my work is kind of dark, you know, mm -hmm. and so it has kind of darker subtext. And so adding that component, um, I think is going to be a bit of a shock for people yeah. that have seen my work for a long time or galleries that I work with that have... Um, <laughs> you know 2020 is a banner year for just you know saying things <laughs> whatever let's just yeah. do it there's no reason not to uh, you, but I think it will help inform uh kind of the way that I think and help people mm. to understand the way that I think so yeah <laughs> it'll I be mean, a challenge I mean art's meant to be isn't it <laughs> I find if you get a bit complacent with that I always find I've got to make this harder for myself like yeah, if it's, this is too easy now. I need to need to adjust this and try something else. But then, yeah. even, even we saying like you, 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 you kind of works. What attracted me to your work initially is because it was dark, mm -hmm. because that's a lot of the artwork which I'm interested in and been inspired by is is dark artwork. The thing I said to you, it reminded me of um, Francis Bacon's paintings yeah. and his figurative work and grotesques and and all those kinds of things. But at the same time, I found with yours, I think, because of the colors you choose, there's something quite playful about it. Mm -hmm. And so even though you're seeing something which is, from an aesthetic point of view, quite visceral, quite dark, the colors you choose, it's still, still, there's still something fun there, still something quite angelic about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that dragged me. Yeah, in. I actually, I get on myself a lot about using the same colors over and over. And you can kind yeah. of see, I mean, people that are listening won't be able to see, but I use a lot of red and blue which yeah. is the it, it kills me every time I pick it up I'm like why am I doing this I don't want to I want to use another color so I yeah I I do love using kind of those candy colors mm. like the pink and the and the red and the blue partly because you know it, it it's one of those things where when you're making dark work there you can make dark work for dark sake right mm. but there's a part of me I don't want the things that I'm kind of working through in my paintings to be gimmicky, you know, I, I don't want my kind of uh, stress or anxiety to be, you know, part of this uh, larger dialogue of like dark work, you know, where it's just grotesque. Mm -hmm. And I think there has to be some level of accessibility to it too. You know, a, a lot of times people will see my work before they meet me and they'll be like, you made that? 
Like as if, oh, how is this like very vanilla white girl, like with no tattoos and a very like white bread (laughs) existence and and upbringing making work that is, you know, by all accounts, not happy, like over your couch art. Um, But I think, you know, some of the best artists that make kind of darker narrative based figurative work are are just regular people that are exploring that side of themselves and i you know we all go through this life with baggage right yeah. no one gets through this life unscathed um and you know it's not to say that i'm not a happy person because i i am and mm-hmm. you know it's not that my life hasn't been hard it's not that Oops. my life uh, hasn't been challenging but I just, I enjoy making this work because it's easier for me to contend with the things that upset me or bother me on a Mm -hmm. rectangle or a square or maybe a circle, you know, than it, than it is to kind of talk about it out loud when I don't feel like it. Um, so I think when I explain it that way to people, they get it, but initially there's that shock value of, oh my gosh, this girl has a heroin problem (laughs) or like is uh, a a serial killer. (laughs) So specific. Um, Yeah. I I think for for kind of our past, past chats, it's, that was something as well, which kind of very much I relate to, especially with how I've created work through kind of my life and, and and times of there is that whole weird idea of the work you make must be reflected in you as a person. Yeah. You know, so you, you see a lot of people who do embody their artwork and they are the visual spectacles as much as their work is visual spectacle. And while they're very right. reserved and the work they work is the work, they work, the work they make is very reserved. Um, and I remember gr- growing up and going through school and there being such a worry about the work, which I was putting out despite how my character is and despite, you know, being fairly casual light-hearted as a person but the work I was putting out was very dark I mean I was a, I was in a gothy phase anyway but who wasn't who came out of that? <laughs> yeah we're all emo goth kids at heart right yeah everyone's a little <laughs> damaged um so you kind of come out of that and I recently had a comment uh, for a friend of mine who who seen some of my work and said are you okay you know if, yeah if, if you've been okay and I said I'm perfectly fine because I've made work like this yeah. If I stop making work like this, if I, you know, if you ever look at my work and you think this is no longer expressing something or is just making it for the sake of making a product or that kind of thing, that's when you need to worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. when I've stopped processing everything which right. is going on and I'm no longer outputting artwork which is relevant to me. So Yeah, I think there's a shared language among creatives, right? Where I think it's kind of understood that you're not, you don't necessarily have to be living the art that you're making. Um, you know, like I, as I've, as I've gotten older, one of the things that has really struck me is the kind of scarcity mindset of artists where, you know, you have to be the starving artist and Mm -hmm. making this just really like emotionally visceral work. Um, and the struggle has to be there. And I, and I don't necessarily think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think that you can be in a really positive place in your life, like partner or otherwise, you know, um, in a committed relationship or happily single or, you know, working a full-time job and then doing art on the side or Mm -hmm. deciding to commit entirely into your work. I don't think that there's any kind of, um, archetype for an artist. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's any kind of just, uh, caricature of the like broken person, you know, and, and that, you know, that, that's kind of liberating in some ways, like that you can make work. It doesn't have to be a reflection of you. It can be something you're, it can be exploratory. Like I like to explore the recesses of my brain that I find uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, there's an artist named Sarah Slappy who is just this awesome artist. She, I think she's based in Brooklyn. Um, and I did a studio, a virtual studio visit with her about two years ago. And we talked about the same thing. Like Mm. it, you know, we talked about how we're just these two normal ladies making art, you know, but with kind of dark imagery. Um, but I, yeah, I, I struggle with, um, sometimes the label of making dark art, even though in some ways I've fully embraced it because it definitely limits 
some of my opportunities, like, yeah. uh, with certain galleries, um, and also with certain collectors too. Like, yeah. um, all of the people that collect my work are definitely kind of interested in that, um, darker work as a whole to put in their, in mm-hmm. their homes, which is great. Um, you know, there's always a market for that. But generally, I think the themes that I deal with are, um, and I can go into them too, because people that don't know me have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> We're going <laughs> to expose people, it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, so like I, I'm really interested in the idea of memory mm-hmm. and how memory is this kind of ever-changing um, story in your head that based on your gender, your age, your sexuality, Mm -hmm. um, it it can be shaped by your experiences and who you are as a person. And so that there isn't necessarily one absolute truth to your memory because your brain acts in a way to protect you from the things that are um, upsetting or Mm -hmm. things that were like really joyous. Like your, your brain colors the experience for you based on what's going on and who you are. Um, And so I've always really loved working from the imagery that's in my head. Um, I I'm not as interested in kind of like what's right in front of me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is why collage is kind of a great way because it's almost like you turn your brain off and it's just, you zone out and then when you wake up, you've got an image, you know, like you can just literally like pull things and like zone out and cut out tiny details. And then when you kind of stop and blink for a sec, you've got something that you didn't know existed before and is now just this perfect complete image to work from. Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, I'm hoping that like my collage work will kind of be a gateway to, places that I haven't been able to access before with my paintings. Like I would like my career to not be just totally steeped in like this dark. I don't want, I want the light CV, not the dark CV all the time. (laughs) Um, But you know, who knows, right? Like I, this could, this could be a phase. I mean, I, I think it probably, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. It was like the relapse. (laughs) I I think that it isn't like, that's just kind of who I am and Mm -hmm. how I analyze things. Um, But, but it could be, you know, who knows? Very easily. I I think a collage for me has always been a fairly interesting one. I I never really explored it until I got to college. Like kind of, it wasn't really a thing prior to that. I was painting and illustrating and then in college I got really into photography um and and did my a levels of photography and that was kind of how i got more into it because suddenly i was producing all these photographs and i was like oh well i've suddenly i've got access to all these this media which i never had before and because of my age you know back then the internet wasn't as amazing as it was (laughs) and you kind of get sucked into the thing so it's it's quite interesting of of seeing that kind of thing as quite a light technique when i think most people experience it when they're in maybe the most volatile when they're, yeah. they're kind of going through changes and going through that, you know, you start scrapbooking and you start, start throwing things together and accenting images because you want to express yourself mm-hmm. and you want to do it quickly. And so, like you say, instantaneously, it gives you that instant relief, um, which you wouldn't necessarily get with a, long, a long-term painting. Well, and it's so funny because it, there, with collage, it's almost kind of treated as like the little kid sister of the art world like if you look up definitions of collage on the internet they'll give you a list of like assembling fragmented pieces of printed material and then the you know how they do like the little example sentence it was like the teachers gave the children postcards to cut up in class you know if you go to the painting section of the dictionary it's like you know the old masters painted from life there you know there's there's not the same kind of um stature given to collage as there is to other mediums and I think it's such a a a shame because some of the best work is is collage and and in a lot of ways you can look at a lot of mediums through the lens of collage like taking disparate things and imagery and even the way our brain thinks is kind of collage based like we're taking from we're picking and choosing and selecting you know and and mashing it all together um you're montaging and then creating that into something absolutely another output so to include it's it's almost it's kind of it's like having a tv 
which you can just print. So you, you know, you're remembering disparate parts of whatever show you watched and then going, Oh, well suddenly now this is just part of, this is more revision in in a way, maybe more personal than creating something imaginary or something out of your mind to to use collage. Yeah. Revisionist history in this sense is very useful. (laughs) Makes for better (laughs) images. (laughs) Makes it more impactful that way. Um, I mean, so it's essentially your, your work's, you, I mean, we said in the email, um, classified it kind of surrealist yeah. um, as the main main stylistic theme and, and inclusion collage and, and, and through surrealism and that, that kind of thing. But I always find surrealism is quite an interesting thing and the kind of the dark and light side of things because mm-hmm. like what you're saying with collage gets a bit of a bad rap in terms of it gets associated with certain certain types of creation. I think right. surrealism gets very much that kind of same brush but from the point of view that it can be seen as a bit cliche because totally. it's the thing which you everyone knows about anyone who's not even in the artwork world yeah. knows about surrealism because of yeah. famous surrealists and they're like oh right. yeah you know you you draw weird things you, you know you make draw things that make things which don't make any sense so combining the two gives it but i mean i've I always, th- I always think his surrealism is quite light and I don't know why. <laughs> really? Cause I think it's the opposite, but I maybe, I mean that, that could be our own bias, you know, like, really? and I think, um, you know, surrealism as a, as a whole, there, it is a, a broad brush, stroke, mm. right. But there's so many elements of it. So like I try to employ kind of data mm. qualities to my work, which, you know, I'm, I'm really working from like a figurative based, um, pictorial language, I guess you could say. Uh, but I try to incorporate um, kind of like weird abstract elements that act as like mechanisms almost mm-hmm. to to activate the space. So like I try to create objects based on um, fragments of paper that I find or magazines or newspapers to kind of act as like timeless objects like they don't have a time stamp like I want them to look futuristic so like the thing behind me like with the cage and like the little bowl like it looks very sci-fi right but what that really is is two light fixtures from restoration hardware that I can't afford you know like (laughs) 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 you know like I want but that is really essential to that the the narrative and the dialogue of the piece and the characters together Mm. because it's it's two mechanisms that are either um, kind of, you know, responding to the figure or they're just sitting there, right? Like maybe they're moving, maybe they're not. Um, yeah. and, and in that way, like that kind of um, mobile quality that Dada has, I'm trying to employ to get my, my work to be more dynamic. Because, um, yeah. I mean, you could, you could look at surrealism and, you know, have the droopy clock and the, the tongues, the tongues for eyes, you know, like yeah. all the classics, right? All the classics, uh, the greatest hits of Surya's. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I, you know, I try to, um, I really try to read a lot about yeah. what people have done in the past. I think that's one of the things that a lot of young artists don't do mm-hmm. right now. Um, and that I think is probably because we're bombarded by social media. Like there's so much visual to take in. Yeah. Um, everything seems like it's been new and like it's revolutionary, but it's been done before. Like usually like 9.99 times out of 10, it's been done before. Um, And so you're really just borrowing from an art history that's, that's already been established, you know? And so I find a lot of times, like when I do critiques with other artists or they ask me to come look at their work, I'll say, well, have you looked at this person? And then they'll open the book and it's exactly the same thing they're doing. And they're like bummed that they didn't come up with it first. I'm like, that's okay. You just have to adapt and, you know, like, and and just make sure you kind of reference it in your work. If that's, you know, your intention. It's It's such a strange one. I find, especially creating work when you do find something which is your work. If you've, especially you've been running for a while with an idea, you're like, yes, this is fantastic. It's exactly how I want it to look. It's coming out great. And then someone says, oh, this reminds me of this. Yep. And you look at it. And it's ruined. "Ah, Crap. (laughs) (laughs) Then you have to burn it. I've never even seen this before. (laughs) How did we, how do we get to that? I think I heard that a few years ago when someone, 
um, mentioned the the art movement of lowbrow to me, yeah. and I'd never heard of it as a term. And then someone showed me, and actually, this makes so much more sense of why my work looks the way it does. Yeah, because it's the style which all the musicians I was listening to as a teenager used. Oh, and that's really interesting. And I, so I've I've internalized it and yeah. spit it back out, and not even realized what I've done because I've not had the the context to apply to it. Right. And you you find especially now, like you say, with young artists, a lot of it is aesthetic. Yeah. And so much more has been placed on the idea of aesthetic and what you can produce, which looks like something else. Well, and I think a lot of that, it kind of goes back to that scarcity mindset, right? Like if you're trying to get into certain galleries and mm-hmm. your peers are doing it successfully with the work they're making, you try to in some ways replicate that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I talk to a lot of artists from New York who, you know, like that is like one of the meccas of art in the world. Um, but in some ways it's a really small community. I think one of the benefits of not being in an environment like that is you're not necessarily uh, getting that kind of, uh, you're not getting that same, you're not in that enmeshed in that community where a lot of people are competing for the same spaces. And so, you know, the galleries really dictate like what kind of art they want, you know, what kind of collectors they want and only, you know, and I mean, I think this is going to change a lot in the next year um, but you know, there's only going to be certain galleries that survive and yeah. the ones that do is going to dictate what kind of art really stays relevant for collectors. Um, you know, so if you have mostly people doing conceptual work, um, mm-hmm. and that's what's selling, you know, figurative painting, forget it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like dark work, forget it. Who cares? <laughs> that's just reminding me if so do you, there's an artist called, uh, Grayson Perry. In, in the Sounds UK. so familiar. Yeah, he, he's one of the kind of the main. I write it down. Um, I'd say probably one of the more famous artists within the okay. UK at the moment, um, and has done a lot of work which is is surrounded about his identity and, and gender mm-hmm. and, and masculinity and and ripping back that back, but also does a lot of yeah. um, writing about being an artist and, and and how that kind of applies to a modern society and these kinds of things. But he recently made a comment, which kind of upset the art world because he suggested that the pandemic would clear away the driftwood of the art world and that only certain certain artists would survive it but it would get rid of the stuff which doesn't really matter Hmm. and I I think that's it was just a really interesting thing of just kind of looking at from that point of view of if you're in this situation where things are suddenly harder and the competition has increased you you are in a situation where some artists will just stop making art. It's funny you say that. I would say that 50% of the people I talk to have not made work, have not touched mm. anything. The other 50% have just exploded, like yeah. prolific amount of work, um, you know, due to quarantining and things like that. I think, you know, that's also coming from the perspective of, of people that have the luxury of not having other obligations like children. Like I don't have kids. So, you know, I am responsible to one other person and then myself. Um, And that makes it that much easier. Like there's not a lot of credit given to the artists who have um, the obligations of their family and trying to do this. Um, And which there are so many women who are incredible artists that have kids Um, but you know, with kids being, and I don't know how it is in the UK, but like kids being home, not at school, like that basically shuts down studio time. (laughs) Like there's no, you you don't, you don't have studio time time when, you know, Johnny wants his crackers. So (laughs) like, (laughs) you don't get that. Uh, So, I mean, in some ways, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, art is a luxury and art is very selfish. Yeah. And I don't mean that in like a bad way, you know, oh, no. but it's, it's very self-focused. Yeah. So there are going to be people that do better right now because they're in a position yeah. to be more successful. Um, but yeah, that man, Driftwood, that's harsh. <laughs> I, I know it was, it was one of the, but in, in a way we've, I, I mean, I'd said something, similar about small businesses uh, to a friend totally. of mine. Totally. People that were just hanging on yeah, are not going to make it. 
hanging on or they were just doing it because, you know, oh, I, I might do this. I might open this shop or I might do that. It's like, well, the people who are really, really in it, who are, yeah. they have a really unique idea which will actually survive and they can make ends meet, even if it's just survival level, they'll carry on. But the people who are just playing with the idea, um, mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying artists are playing with the idea. I don't want to get. No, yeah, I know what you mean, though. But yeah, the, it was kind of that whole idea, and I'd thought of it from kind of like an economic point point of view of yeah, you'll you'll lose a lot of businesses, but a lot of these businesses wouldn't survive if they started to struggle. But right. with artists, it's such a strange thing to think, and like you say, it's it's not really harsh um, to say that art isn't essential. I, I pr- produced an illustration this year, which is just essentially saying that we weren't. Um, because yeah in terms of survival one-on-one food shelter and that we're not we're a luxury we're we're a symptom of being human and needing to translate our thoughts um but we're not essential you could survive without us it just wouldn't be a very happy survival um right and and kind of getting down to that grips of it is such a strange thing to think of that now in 2020 as as just a reality now (laughs) yeah Yeah, I think too, you know, the people that will survive this well and come out better are the ones that will be more nimble in terms of their art practice and also their art business. Um, and I think I think a lot of people that are looking for other avenues to show their work and aren't, um, you know, married to the idea of having to show in these big white cube galleries are the ones that are going to be... Um, better for it because I think with the you know less less access to opportunity means that if you if you really care about getting your work out and that might not be a goal for most people but with me like I you know I'm not as concerned about the sale of the work as much as I am the dialogue that happens when someone steps in front of it yeah um and so you know publications I think or self-publications are going to be huge I think that is going to be um whether that's virtual or in print I think that's going to be the next phase for artists is kind of bring back the zine, you know, like, um, like printed books, artist books, um, getting people to curate your work and write about it. I think that's going to be um, one of the ways that a lot of artists and particularly outsider artists that don't have access to, or have that barrier to entry of like a formalized arts education Mm -hmm. can get involved is by doing um, those kind of written and visual pieces um it kind of skips you're like jumping the line to get to the front of the gallery and you've already got um you know something in your back pocket where you can show people what you're doing um, and explain it to them in a way that's almost like a gallery card right like next to your work but it's in a book next to your work um i think i think people just have to be a little bit creative <laughs> you know artists need to be creative about a, how that is a strange thing to say but artists need to be creative and so many well artists some artists are not. i mean like all, all artists i know are most of them i should say all yes. most of them are terrible about managing <laughs> that business side of their work oh like terrible yeah. um I'm, you know I'm it's why it's why art advisors and art consultants are a thing yeah. you know because they need someone to go in and say, this is what you need to do. And this is how you need to structure your time so that you have enough time to make work Mm -hmm. and you're not down in the weeds about like your Instagram and, you know, like reading over contracts and all of that, writing a press release. Um, yeah, I, I think 2021 is going to be an interesting shakeout of who makes it and who doesn't. And it's going to be sad too, because there's a lot of, great places that are hanging on that are great ideas but they just won't they won't survive it um i think it's it's interesting to think of it from a point of view of um kind of more traditional versus non-traditional art routes Um, i mean so you you, i assume you've you're more of a traditional art route in the sense of studied for it now doing is it a residency where you are well so no i this is my studio studio Okay. Like this is where I, this is my home base. I have a studio at home where I do all my collage and some Mm -hmm. painting. Um, But for me, I I need a place where I can go Mm -hmm. to get work done. Actually, so where I am is the McGuffey Art Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, It's one of the oldest artist cooperatives in the, in the United States. I will be honest. Uh, I had to Google Charlottesville. 
Massachusetts. That's okay. I, I'm sure a I, lot of things came up about Charlottesville and then you were like, oh, I know what Charlottesville is. I, I only knew one thing about Charlottesville and it was a very negative thing. And I was like, I yeah. need to know more about this, this place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, yeah, there's a lot more to us, yes. I think. Um, but yeah, I'm one of the youngest people in this building. Um, oh. it's, it was, you know, some of the same founders of mm-hmm. the artist cooperative are, are still members here. Oh, um, but yeah, it, it used to be an old all girls school building. Um, and so I'm in one of the classrooms. Having a whole classroom to yourself. That's right. I have a whole classroom to myself. Actually, I'm looking at one of the old blackboards that they had. Um, so it was built in 1913, I think. 1913. Yeah. Nice. I, I'm, I'm almost positive. I always get, I always get reminded, especially when I have, um, American guests. <laughs> it's not old. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing of what your, your country considers old. I'm suddenly mm-hmm. going, Hmm. That's, I mean, it's so true. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I went to Japan a few years ago Oh yeah. and yeah, and we, my husband and I walked up to one of these temples and it was like 2000 years old yeah. and I'm thinking, Oh my God. And it's wood. It's made yeah. out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like, we do not hold a candle. It's, yeah. you know, it's why other countries roll their eyes. <laughs> We're just, it's, you, you just kind of take it. I think I, can't remember, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine uh, who live in uh, California Mm-hmm. and they were, they were on about some buildings they had over there and, and all these different things and I, I took them into google street view of lincoln where i'm, I'm from yeah and they were like oh what's that on the hill and i was like oh that's the cathedral it was made in like 1072 like <laughs> it's yeah like, it's it's that level of old where i'm just like yeah it's just that we, we don't even think about how old it is it's nowadays. amazing though yeah, yeah. it's it's history yeah. track i think yeah i i um yeah, I studied architecture in college. I, I, I studied historic preservation. Um, okay. And so I, I got another degree in studio art. Um, How many degrees But it was almost have? secondary to the historic preservation. How many degrees do you have? Do you just... Are you... So I did a double major. I don't know how it works in the UK, but you um, can do like double majors. I mean... Uh, or like rarer. study two things at the same time. Okay, and then yeah. I also did two other little studies in museum studies and urban studies. So what people are going to get from this is that I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really type A. I mean, I didn't really want to, didn't, didn't want to point it out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was pretty obvious from pretty, the beginning. Pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, I, I barely got my degree. So <laughs> well, I, um, yeah, I am somebody that's like, I don't half-ass things. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, if you, you're studying architecture and everything, you started in quite, I mean, l- quite a non-expressive format, I would say, with yeah. architect- architecture. Oh, God. That, that's function over form, right? And, well, so, but I instead took the major in a totally different direction. So okay. I was the person that said, don't save all 20 of the 19th century barns. Let's turn them into recording studios instead and save one as the example. Okay. And I was like, you know, I was like crucifying. The <laughs> just people people were shocked. There was a shockwave through <laughs> the entirety of the, no, I mean, I, so I studied in particular adaptive reuse. So I was really interested okay. in taking structures, maintaining the, the important elements of what made it a historic structure, but modernizing mm-hmm. it so that we can continue to use it because who most general people aside from historic preservation nerds mm-hmm. don't care about the 19th century barn. No. What they do care is that they can put their Pinterest wedding in the 19th, in the 19th century, century barn. barn. Right. That's a, so, that's a really, and you point. still save it. Yeah. Right. And so, and you know, it becomes a small business and yeah. it, is still a part of the fabric of our culture, right? But it's being yeah. utilized in a completely different way. Um, you probably can't do that to the cathedral. Well, this from, is a, it's just an know. interesting point. So there's a there's a gallery in Lincoln called the Usher Gallery, um, mm-hmm. which is is one of the more historic buildings. Uh, I'll do a quick Google as I explain what it is, um, which was essentially donated to to Lincoln the city by yeah. um, Usher and it's currently under debate of what the use of it is because it, it houses a collection of art, which was also donated, oh, cool. to, donated to the city. So the building and the collection were donated. And then recently the council decided, uh, 1927 it was built. So it's not that old. Um, okay. 
but they they recently decided they're going to close part of the gallery so they can put things like weddings inside right. of this gallery and there's been so much uproar within the city that they're removing this artwork in order to accommodate weddings even though some of the artwork's staying and it's going on display in different places is the art good no this, that, that I mean, makes it better that makes it view. so much better <laughs> i look around the collection and i'm like i don't really care about any of this art the only bits i care about is there's some there's some really nice marble statues okay and i'm like yeah these are really nice um a little confused but most of them are mytho- mythological um and I'm like, yeah, there's some interesting things, but the rest of it, just I don't care about. But there's there's so much uproar. We're trying to repurpose this building, even though it's yeah. not really used. The collection's not that well visited. Nobody really cares about. It. But the moment you try to go, no, I yeah, use this something else. Suddenly, the crowds just come out of nowhere. It's the peanut gallery. Yeah. Wrecking through. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It's funny. As soon as you say we're going to take something away, yeah. people start to lose their minds. But Um, yeah, I, it, in some ways I found that to be a really nice creative outlet, but Mm -hmm. when I left college, I just craved making art, you know, like I, I was working other jobs and doing other things, um, that weren't art related, but I was still always continuing to make art. Mm -hmm. Um, and then about two, maybe one, two, one and a half years ago, I committed to do, um, art full time, um, and just left it all behind just abandoned <laughs> well i mean i i shouldn't say that like i i have the privilege of my husband is you know working right. so i'm not going to be homeless but i mean there's you know, that, yeah <laughs> yeah but i but honestly like thinking about it there's only one or two artists that i know one of whom has shown at the whitney in new york mm-hmm. and the other one who lives here locally that could be fully self-sufficient yeah. off of art um you know where they're not working two jobs or one full-time job or have a partner that's supporting them. Um, And I think, you know, it kind of comes back to that redefinition of what it means to be an artist. Like there's different paths that different people take. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean that anyone is less, is, is better than the other. Uh, It just, it's different. So different strokes. Yeah. It takes the world. Different folks. I mean, you, you, you chose a genre coming out of architecture then, which is, I'd say, fairly far removed from from architecture and in, in attempting surrealism and, and yeah. abstract images and, and forms though there is an accessibility to surrealism which is what what attracts yes. me to it um mm-hmm. is is the the visual connection gets you first and then you look more into it but i mean as you kind of mentioned in the email as a female artist within surrealism you've got quite a quite a bridge to build and quite a mountain to climb it would seem yeah, I mean, I think when you look back into art history and surrealism and 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 visually like what it was doing and and who was who was really running the ship, um, the way that the female form in surrealism was depicted was really, in some ways, either over glorified mm-hmm. um, or really really negative. And you know, you would get like grotesque like female body parts, but then you would also have women almost depicted as like the gatekeepers of innocence and like this naivete and, Oh, you know, they're so they're empaths. They're so emotionally attuned, but it almost kind of trapped women in this like immature state where they didn't have, it, it was almost like depicting women as not having substance. They were just the ones that everything was positive and light. Yeah. When the reality is that, you know, women are, just as capable and sometimes more capable of tougher circumstances and, mm-hmm. and traumatic experiences and, and carrying a lot of the burdens of, of the fallout of our society. And, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily interested as an artist in depicting women in that way. Cause I don't mm-hmm. think that's realistic. I yeah. think, you know, like, so people that are listening can't see what I'm doing, but you can see it. So like, I'm not necessarily interested in depicting women as pretty or like attractive. That's not necessarily, um, my MO. Uh, you know, I want, I want people to know that they're women, um, or people that identify as women. Um, but I am not interested in this kind of idealized figure. Um, and I, I think that, it's interesting to me that I'm 
part now of this tradition of mm. surrealism. Um, but also being aware of the fact that I'm, I'm adding to a narrative that has historically kind of underrepresented me in a marginalized way. Yeah. Um, and so I like that kind of, you know, well, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, it's not to say that I'm the only one doing that because there's tons of yeah. female. I mean, I can think of like two British artists that are surrealists, like Lise Duflet, I think is her name, Duflet. Um, she shows at Hoffa Gallery. And then Lucille Govain. Oh, I've heard that, that, that rings a bell. Yeah, they're both surrealist artists. And, and I think, you know, the pandemic is going to breed a lot of surrealism because yeah. it's also a form of escapism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people don't want to have to deal with the things that are hard and challenging you know they want somewhere that they can just not have to worry about i mean particularly in the united states right now (laughs) like there's a (laughs) i I can't imagine what it's like for canada but i'm sure it's like living above a meth lab so i (laughs) that's how scotland feels about the england yeah i mean it's like it it is it's really rough right now it doesn't matter where you fall out politically like it's Mm -hmm. it's a challenge for everyone i mean i I think that surrealism for me has always been somewhere that I can create my own rules Mm -hmm. and live in a world that I like, you know, I, I'm an artist who has OCD. Um, it's something I was recently diagnosed with, but I Mm -hmm. kind of always knew it was there. Um, and you know, and collage to bring it back to collage was so useful for me in terms of just occupying my hands and not having to think about like intrusive thoughts. Like it really just kept me centered on what I was doing, but it was also feeding into something really positive. Um, and I think that that's, that's what you want, right? Like you Mm -hmm. want something that, that can kind of take the best of what you're struggling with and apply it in a way that's useful because there's so many downsides, right? But that's not necessarily the way to look at it. Like you've got to think of it in a way that can, can inform and, and highlight the things that makes your brain great, you know, the creative side. Um, But yeah, I, it's been, it's been a challenge. I think that it's going to be interesting to look at art from this time because it will forever be, time stamped as pandemic art like it it will forever be integrated into fabric even if people are making geometric abstracts you're not going to be able to take away from the fact that it was made during the era of covid i got Um, thinking about that the other day of any anything you see because i I, the the thought i got thinking of was the amount of sitcoms and tv shows and stuff we see coming out i feel like 2020 unless the the plot surrounds the idea of the pandemic and is necessary i feel like 2020 will be just a removed year from media (laughs) the lost year nobody's nobody's gonna base a film in 2020 because everybody's aware of what happens yeah you would watch it and be like oh well no this is unless we get like a 28 days later yeah you know like covid style yeah no it's you see you're gonna see 2020 underneath the painting yeah and you'd be like oh this, they were having an emotional yeah, breakdown <laughs> alone where were they what, yeah. what you know what was the lockdown rules in this place right. at that time so i can know more about this painting yeah no it's it's really interesting when it becomes contextualized like mm. that because it there's no way that it doesn't permeate your work like it just it does um whether you're avoiding it or whether you're facing it head on like it's there Um, and no one has come out of this without being impacted by it. There's been such a trickle down, um, into the, the way that we live and, Mm -hmm. and it's shown some of the really bad, uh, systemic kind of inconsistencies and just failures for Mm -hmm. everyone involved where, you know, like what happens when the globe just shuts down, you know, people, people feel it, it also eliminates the fact that people need, creativity like it art is a luxury but like i need art to live like it it fuels me um and it keeps me sane and you know i think collage is one of those things where like it's a low cost to entry and it's accessible everyone can pick up paper and scissors you know and and just make things and 
you know, I, I would hazard a guess that a lot of people did that, you know, during this time, like they just needed something to do. Um, I think there was, there was, there was a strong, um, feeling of prior to 2020, especially between smaller artists where you kind of get into this habit of I'll try doing something and I'll try doing something new. And then a month later, you're trying to think of how you can modify it, how you can, how you can sell it and how you can produce something to sell. And I think 2020 in a way acted as a huge reminder for everybody that actually art is a coping mechanism Yeah. for the majority of artists. No artist starts or no good artist. I would say from my opinion starts by going, I want to make a product, you know, I, I want to make something to sell. You start as a, I just found that I'm, I'm, I'm drawing today or I'm sculpting today. And then down the line, you re, you modify that into something else. Whereas 2020, everyone just kind of picked up and went, oh, maybe I can try this and I can try that. And, and like you say, with, with um, collage, it being quite an accessible thing, quite an available thing. I imagine yeah, a lot of people have tried it this year. Well, and it, and I think, it's just, it's so, um, there's something about getting off your computer and mm. doing something very tactile too. Like touch for me is a big thing, like mm-hmm. being able to like work with the medium. Um, and yeah, I think, I think too, like collage is one of those things where you can kind of work in a vacuum and be like, oh my gosh, there's other people doing this. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really what what being home during this last year has done is mm-hmm. it's like you said it's kind of reacquainted artists with or let that 50 percent that's making a ton of work i guess yeah. that it's something that that they do to also self-soothe too mm-hmm. like it's a it's a therapeutic kind of cathartic thing for a lot of people um and you know it's provided a lot of time for like freedom and mm-hmm. and no limitations on on what you can do because galleries were shutting down shows were canceling you know i i get caught up a lot of times in making work for shows okay. and i forget that i'm what i was doing originally you know yeah. um and i think it's it's really important to always kind of circle back and center yourself and this is i did this because i love this and and i I need this in my life and this is what I'm, I'm interested in doing. Not so much, you know, kind of what we were talking about where, you know, you get into this kind of community group think of, well, I need to make work like this because that's what they want. And, you know, I don't want to be homeless. (laughs) I mean, that that is a goal in life is to avoid being homeless. If if you're going to have a goal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's it's top five. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see what, what your, as I say, to watch your work evolve as well, because I obviously haven't been following you for a while. And when I decided to kind of reach out this year to artists and in a way, I'm, like the podcast has evolved this year because it had to. Um, it, it forced me to get involved in learning how to do kind of virtual setups and things like that. But it, mm-hmm. it gave me the opportunity to talk to people in other countries and, and, and kind of pick up and... and yeah suggest to guests that they might want to talk about things and 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 get out which is i always always do find interesting when i meet artists if the amount of us who don't feel like they can talk about their work or yeah express their work outside of their work which is really interesting i think um yeah it kind of comes down to what your goals and intentions are as Mm. an artist if you're just making art for yourself that's meant to live in your house and not be public that's fine you don't have to explain yourself but i think you know if you're if you're an artist that wants to make work to be in a gallery or in a coffee shop wherever you should be able to say at least give a preliminary summary of what your work is about um because if you're if you know you're once the work is out in the world it's not private anymore it's public like it's it's available for public consumption um and all of the things that come with having people you know randos come up to your work and and correctly or incorrectly tell you what your work is about. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost your responsibility in, in that sense to be able to, to advocate for your own work. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm probably pulling like a Grayson Perry right now and pissing off a bunch of people, but I, <laughs> I, That's I a just responsibility feel, I, think, artists, though, right? I, I think you have to have a voice, you yeah. know, like, and, and to assume that other people aren't going to get you hmm. is kind of arrogant. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody like, so people are above not being able to understand. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting like very heated. <laughs> I, need to, I need that's to temper it from, down. Right? Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, to me, if you, if you, if you're taking the time to produce art and you want to put it out into the world, um, there's a whole conversation could be had about the idea of once you release art, it, it actually no longer belongs to you because it's yeah. now part of public consumption. So at what point do you remove the artist from the artwork when, you know, down the line, the artist may go off and do something you disagree with. Does that affect the artwork they produced at one time versus further down the line? So I think being able to explain the work you do is at times the harder part of being an artist, but the more important part of being an artist. Yeah. I think there's, you know, again, I think there's a lot of, um, assumption that the one part of being an artist is just the purely visual right Mm. and I think it's so critical to be able to read about work write about work um you know I I think about my art as a job like Mm. I think about it's it's my I'm doing my due diligence by reading as much as I can Mm. meeting as many people who are better than me as I can um and that being said like I should preface that if you're a shy person, you know, I am not shy. Like I am not, I'm, I consider myself a, a combination of an extrovert and introvert, but I am okay. not a shy person, no. you know, being able to talk about your work and, and having a public speaking, mm-hmm. you know, fear is different. Right. But, yeah. but to be able to just at least articulate a few things about your work that, that someone else can kind of wrestle with or, mm-hmm. um, or try to interpret is important because yeah. otherwise, you know, keep it at your house. Like to, to say, I'm going to make this work, but then no one's going to be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. It is a little unfair. Um, and, it latches li- onto that accessibility aspect again. Of yeah. The, I think this, if my, if I have a main gripe with kind of fine art worlds, it's worlds of art, fine art where people are, are kind of gatekeeping media and gatekeeping work by saying oh well we're not going to explain it or we're not going to put in anything which can the public can relate to because you you need to have a degree to understand it or you need to have read this book or that book and to me if you're creating successful artwork you need to have at least one aspect even if it's minute even if it's just something where they can look at it and say oh i know i get that i get that one bit of Mm -hmm. reference and then that might interest them to explore the rest of it and yeah. you, you need to have that. And when it comes to being able to explain it, yeah, it, it's, it's part of that accessibility aspect. It's, yeah, I can explain one line to it, which will help you understand it. And then if you want to know more, you'll know more. But otherwise, it might not be for you. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of um, hubris in mm. that way, sometimes in the art world of people who are talking about their work um, but, but aren't willing to share. And I, I, in some ways I can also sympathize with that because my work is really personal. Like it's very intensely intimate and personal. And so, you know, I look back at some of the work I made two and three years ago and I feel it, it's cowardly <laughs> because I was hiding behind the thing that I didn't want to happen, which was making it gimmicky. Right. And, you know, I'm finally kind of starting now to work on, um, addressing some of the things that are part of my work, like trauma mm-hmm. and mental health and, you know, kind of, um, the female experience and things like that, or the feminine experience. And, and, you know, I, I think too, like, you don't necessarily have to go into the nitty gritty of, of your, of your life, mm-hmm. but I think you need to give at least the conceptual framework for people to be able to, relate to it like people can't necessarily relate to this yeah i'm motioning for people that can't see um (laughs) but but they will be able to relate to getting lost in their own thoughts and um you know kind of the um, the imagination of the brain and protecting you from the things that you're upset about or um trying to find an escape or creating a world where you don't have to worry about 
societally condoned, you know, definitions of identity or, mm-hmm. um, you know, institutions that don't serve you as an individual. Um, so I think, I think that is something that, you know, I'm still, I'm a work in progress, but, but I'm getting better about being willing to talk about those things too. Um, I think just at least giving it your best (laughs) college try is, is important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. My leg is just falling asleep on me. The problems of being tall and Shake being sat down. <laughs> How tall are you? Uh, I'm six foot two. Okay, so you're so, you're like kind of tall. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm tall. So, <laughs> tall than average, but not actually considered fully tall. <laughs> yeah. So no. I. So you. I would say that for most of the general population, you're really tall. But right. my family happens to be super, super tall. But how and tall so, are you? So, oh, th- that's the funny thing. I'm very short. <laughs> So I'm not technically very short. I'm like five, okay. six and a half. All right. So my my mom's taller than me. My I have one brother who's six six. The other one's six five. And then wow. my dad's like six five. So that is we're a tall all family. it's a, it's a tall family. Yeah, except for me. We don't know yeah. what happened. <laughs> they used up all the tall in all the. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I'm the oldest. So you would have thought I would have been like the tall, creepy, lanky one, but I'm not. I like the idea that maybe your family had you and thought, okay, so this one grows to this size. We can have more. We can afford the space. And then suddenly yeah. got taller and taller additions. Yeah. <laughs> they just kept improving. Just kept improving. It's yeah. the beta test. But then right. on and on and on. I mean, are you, are you the only artist in your family or is this, this a trait which is carried through? So I, um, I have a grandmother who painted. She doesn't anymore, um, but she was a, a a good, uh, talented oil painter. Mm-hmm. Um, I use acrylics. I can't stand I can't oil painting. Oil. Yeah. Um, and then I have a brother who is a musician, um, and he plays the mandolin, but he's also a professional piano tuner. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, my husband is actually very creative. He is a musician, mm-hmm. um, and he is, uh, working on, he's a two, he's a duo, um, so he's be- his band partner is his best friend. Um, and so they're working on original music right now. Um, but they've done remixes for popular artists in the U.S. and things like that. Um, so, yeah. they So it's it's like collective brain of creativity in our house. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it. It sounds like you, you're surrounded by that, that kind yeah. of mood. Yeah. I don't think I could be I, – I would have a really hard time being with someone who wasn't creative. Now, that being said – I have said, I've spoken to many of my friends mm-hmm. who have dated people that work in the same medium. Right. And that is a challenge because yeah. I find that it gets very kind of competitive. I always liked the idea of um, meeting and marrying like an accountant, just someone like a lawyer, just someone who's so far removed from everything that I am just to kind of provide me with that root cause of, Oh yeah, not everyone's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also financial stability. I mean, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have no, to work and I could be fully supported, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, I think it, it, it's very good to have someone who isn't necessarily visual, like a visual creative to bounce things off of. Yeah. Um, because they don't, it's just totally different mode of operations, right? They're thinking of it from an entirely different standpoint than you are. And so there's, I think a lot that can be lost in translation if you don't, not like a lay person, but like just someone who isn't around your work all the time and like totally enmeshed in the process, Mm -hmm. um, of like their own work that relates to yours. I think it's really useful to get that kind of feedback from people. Um, if you want it, if you don't yeah. want it, then don't bother. <laughs> if you don't want it, if you don't want it, don't ask. <laughs> yeah, I, that's generally how I how I work. Like I get so we're McGuffey when it's open. It's not open normally. Is a public building, and so okay. having the studio space is great. But one of the things that can be interesting is you get like random people from the community that walk in, and right. and they can do that. Yeah. And, and and I like talking to people, so it's not a big deal. Um, but they'll just start giving you advice. <laughs> you know, it's like this little family from Arkansas has yeah. come in and they're telling you, oh, honey, that's, that's not, yeah, that's a little scary. Are you okay? You I love okay? that idea. They're just kind of you know? 
fully ingrained of like, yeah, I'm really going to And a lot of times, like when I had a a male studio mate, uh, a guy who worked right next to me, he did these kind of like small, um, very pastel, very soft, really pretty, uh, really, really pretty watercolor paintings. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have me, right? And they always assumed that I did the watercolor paintings, which I find really interesting. I get that a lot. Like a lot of people... And, and I don't think as much right now, but before mm-hmm. used to think I was a guy, but if they okay. didn't see my name attached to it yeah. and they didn't see me, which I, I found really fascinating because I didn't think that my work read as like male yeah. or female. I think it definitely reads as female now. That's but really interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was really, really fascinating because I got it more than once. Yeah. Like throughout I, the years. I had a, I had a thought about this when I was looking for guests. And when, in fact, when I was kind of considering contacting yourself, if, um, when I was looking through guests and I started, the easiest place to start is look through Instagram and find some people you th- think would be interested too. Yeah. And because I follow the same types of artwork, which obviously interests me. So there's a lot of similar surreal mm-hmm. kind of dark, dark work. And I kept looking them up and then finding out who these people were and finding that they were all women. Yeah. And I was, I was, you know, I'd never even thought to look past the painting and discovering it's like, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of women here in, in yeah. this genre. And also I'm following them all. So it's got, is it going to be weird if I suddenly contact them all? And I'm like, suddenly I don't just think so. A long list of women. I'm like, this seems weird for me. Why, why is that? No, but I think it's, you've, you've, you've struck on something that I think, um, is really important, which is that these women are working in a medium that doesn't necessarily have uh, rules. Mm-hmm. There's no rules to what you can do. And I mean, I, I look at surrealism from a lot of the perspective of like a lot of outsider artists who are making work in the vein of surrealism. Like I'm the first person that comes to mind, is like Eugene von Bruckenheim. I'm probably butchering his name, um, but he was an artist from Milwaukee that is I- incredible. And, you know, um, like no rules was making this amazing work. He's a man, so it doesn't really count Mm -hmm. in terms of this argument. (laughs) But like, you know, when you think about a women's place in art and art history, surrealism is kind of this interesting place to land where you Mm -hmm. can create um, a world of your own design that that is not, doesn't have to be informed by anything, um, you know, that has come from like this formalized art kind of institution. It can be whatever you want it to be. Um, You know, and, and in that way, like you're creating a world that works for you and is also um, something you can play in and explore in, you know, like that's, there's a freedom in that, that I don't think, you know, a lot of times women in this life get to have. (laughs) So, you know, and a lot of other marginalized communities don't get to have. Um, yeah. that have been historically underrepresented in the art world. So surrealism is kind of this awesome place that you can live in. This extra escape from everything else. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great point to round this out on. Is, All right. Is the embracing of, of surrealism and yeah. escaping everything else is going on. I mean, 2021 is going to be an interesting year. Is it? Is it I have in? hope for it though. I, I really do. I think, um, I mean, fingers crossed for a vaccine. Yeah. But I think what it's shown people too is that you can you can get through hard stuff. Yeah. You know, you can find ways to cope, you can healthy ways to cope. Um and you can find ways to to slog through the things that are challenging and you know, and art can be that thing for you whether you've had an opportunity to do it or to not do it before. I think that's a very good message. Well, thank you for coming to talk to me, Mandy. Yeah, of course. Lovely to speak to you today. I hope the rest of your day goes well. I'm thinking it's like 11 o'clock where you are. It's 11.05. Well, that was good. There you go. Working with different people in time zones. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you for coming to talk to me. And we will talk to these guys later. <laughs>